Oh, so, so love that. I love that we can laugh together. I love that we can have a good time together. Um, that was an amazing time. Um, this morning, um, we are going to be celebrating Orphan Sunday with thousands of other churches around the world. And um, there honestly is nothing in the world that reminds me more of the essence of Christianity and the heartbeat of God than adoption. Um, this is the core message of Christianity, that we're no longer slaves. We don't have to live in fear, but we have been adopted and brought into the family of God. We get to have nearness and intimacy, and we have God as our Father. And I, I want to begin, um, this is going to be a little bit different than other years, because I, I think God wants to do something in us before He does something through us. I don't want this to be a superficial response for us as a church. We certainly want you to be involved in orphan care. We want you to be able to own the mission. But I, I think there's something that lives inside of all of us that God wants to address through the spirit of adoption. And I want to begin with uh, the story of uh, Aaron and Jamie Ivy and their adoption journey um, adopting Amos from the nation of Haiti. So you can enjoy. Welcome back to the most news in the morning. It's now 40 minutes past the hour. Ground zero of the disaster is in the Caribbean, but its impact certainly uh, being uh, felt across the world and here in the U.S. as well as those desperately try to reach their loved ones in Haiti. Aaron and Jamie Ivy adopted four-year-old Amos. They were actually in the process of trying to get him out of the country when the earthquake struck. Now, what they know is that Amos is safe, which is the good news. When they'll be able to actually get him to the States is another story. For two and a half years, we worked hard to get our adopted son out of Haiti. Tonight, we got the call we've been waiting for for so long. Our son is finally coming home. I was calling to see if there are any available flights from Houston Intercontinental uh, tonight to get me in the direction of going to Florida. It was the first time in two and a half years that it actually felt like it could happen. Because we've had several false alarms over the years where it's like, you know, maybe they're going to come home next month or maybe they'll come home six months from now. We just believed that God was saying, this is your, this is your son, pursue him. We were so longing for our family to be together finally, so emotions were just inexplainable. We got to the airport, and there's probably 35 or 40 other parents that were in the same boat as us. U.S. Customs had to do very specific background checks. And we just started this long night of waiting that we didn't see coming. I remember looking at my phone at one point, and it was 3 in the morning. The crazy thing was, for so long, it had been this giant ocean that was separating us from our kid. And then we're in the airport, and it's just a wall, it's a physical wall. We're literally feet away from our kid with nothing but a door between us. It was one of the most frustrating parts of our whole journey. Finally, I just, I went to sleep. I think the sleep for me 
was almost just this outward expression of this trust that I was having to deal with in my own heart of just, God, I, I trust you with this. I trust you with my son because there's nothing that I could do, nothing. And then woke up and there was some movement going on. Come on back and talk to me real quick. Finally, a U.S. Customs guy came out and called us back to see Amos. him up and just held him so tight it was an emotional moment to be not just hugging my son because i'd done that before but to know that he was finally home nobody else was keeping me from him nobody else was saying you can't have him yet but he's here this is over this is complete for like an hour we just we just hugged and held and just whispered in his ear Mom and Papa are here. We love you. We're never leaving you. You're here with us forever. You want to go home? Go home with Mama and Papa? Forever? Huh? He had come from such a hard place. He's four. And he has been through four really difficult years. I wanted him to experience this sort of newness because I wanted that door to close on being abandoned being an orphan and now he's he's adopted he's in a family as a father i know that i've been adopted into god's family i was once an orphan with no hope with no purpose no aim but god in his kindness saw me and adopted me into his family. Changed my past, changed my future, changed everything about me. We've been adopted. I wanna reciprocate that in the way I live my life. When the earthquake hit, we didn't know if we would ever get our son home. Now Amos has brothers and a sister He's a part of the Ivy family, and he's finally home. Part of the reason that stories like that resonate so deeply for us is because not only is that Amos's story and the Ivy's story, but this is all of our stories, right? The hassle and the pursuit of Amos right, is small compared to the pursuit that God has for all of us, that he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all so that we could be adopted sons and daughters of the king. I love how in that video he said he wanted to close the door on being abandoned in Amos's life forever. That's a little bit about what we're going to be talking about this morning because the truth is 
though the doctrine of adoption that we belong to God is this wonderful, rich truth, um, it's something that most of us, if we're honest, we don't live in the good end. So if God's going to really create a movement, right, not just one or two isolated individuals that want to rise up to meet the orphan crisis, if we're going to own this as a church, this has to be something that defines us as a people, that the spirit of adoption begins to take root in our own hearts. And so um, I'm going to just talk about some ways this morning that I think the spirit of adoption can come to define us as a people. And I want to begin just by reading John 14. I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. This should be on the screen for you. John chapter 14. This is Jesus' farewell discourse. He's about to leave this world. This is what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him. For He dwells with you, and this is the promise, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is the promise of Jesus for His people. Let's pray. Father, I pray that right now that You would embolden us as sons and daughters of the King. I pray every door that still exists, that's still open to abandonment and rejection, that whispers lies in the ears and the hearts of your people would be silenced. I pray that a spirit of adoption would permeate us as a church. I pray that every heart and every person in this room would be fully convinced that they are sons and daughters of the King. If there are people here that are still lost and disconnected, I pray that you would bring them into your forever family today. I pray that you would help us to do this. We need your help, not only to understand your word, but we need you to perform this word in us so that you can perform this word through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, John chapter 14 is this wonderful promise that God has to address the orphan that lives inside of each of us. Now, John 14, this, I mean, it would be difficult to overemphasize the drama of this moment. Jesus had walked with his disciples for three years. He began to unpack the truth that he would, over the next several hours, he would be betrayed, he would be crucified, he would be buried, he would be raised from the dead, and that he really was preparing his disciples for the fact that he would not physically be present with them anymore. This would have been disorienting, they would have felt lost, right? Everything that unfolded over the next several hours would make them think that they had been abandoned by God. And it was in this context that God promises through Jesus that I will not leave you as orphans. Now, for us as the, the people of God, 
it is very important for us to begin to grapple with these words and what they mean for us before it means something to the world. We have not been left. We have not been abandoned by God. He has poured out His Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, to live in us and dwell in us. And what this is supposed to do at its most basic level is have all of the people of God be convinced that you belong to Him. Right? That He is our Father. That there is a sense of intimacy not only that we know God, but He knows us. He made us. He created us. And that there's supposed to be a kind of holy awe in the fact that we are God's children. For us to ever be able to begin to make a difference in this world, we must first be convinced that we belong to God, that He will meet our needs. And what a place of privilege it is to be able to have intimacy with God, to refer to Him as Father. I mean, this is the most radical countercultural truth that Jesus taught. No other religion in the world would say that their deity is Father. Jesus modeled this trust in God all the way to the cross so that we could be brought near, that we would no longer be disconnected from our fathers. Now we connect with stories like the Ivies because we have all been spiritual orphans. We have all been lost. We have all been disconnected from God. We have all been just in the deepest part of who we are. We've known what it's like to live with a part of us that's missing. And the spirit of adoption is brought into our hearts to convince us that we belong to God. But the truth is, we still oftentimes can live like spiritual orphans, right? right? We are not fully convinced that God is our Father. The truth of the doctrine of adoption is one that we must get used to. So just as in Amos' story and anybody that you know that have brought children into their home, regardless of how wonderful the parents are, there will be moments where the child reverts back to its orphan-like state. The, doc- the doctrine and the practice of adoption takes getting used to, and it's no different for us as the people of God. There will be moments when we revert back to living like an orphan. So I, I think there's a few ways that God wants to convince us that we belong to Him, that He wants to deal with things that live inside of us, things that most of us would rather push down than deal with. But I think it's these things that God wants to meet us in so that He can change us. And the first is that the spirit of adoption moves us from self-protection to trust. The spirit of adoption moves us from self-protection to trust. Now, I've known several families throughout the years that have adopted and brought children into their home. And one of the signs that the children are um, adopting into the family well and adjusting well is that they no longer hide food, right? There is a sense where I, I mean, I had these friends uh, that adopted several times and they had a son and a, I mean, he would just go into his room and they would find sandwiches and all kinds of crazy food underneath their beds. And this isn't because he liked to snack at midnight, but it was a self 
survival instinct that I have to provide for myself and I have to protect myself. No one else has been looking out for me and I have to look out for me, right? But listen, you may have never experienced that, right, as having to do that with food, but most of us have things that have happened in our life where there were people that were meant to protect us. There were people that were meant to watch out for us, right? And sometimes there were there was neglect, right? It could be a divorce. The people that you were supposed to be able to count on, like they weren't there for you, and we can revert to that kind of self-protection. And sometimes even more than that, the people that were meant to protect you and provide for you, they ended up hurting you and abusing you. And if we as adults don't realize when those moments have happened, right, and deal with them, then the, the truth is that we begin to project those truths on God, right? So we can just begin to revert back to an orphan-like state instead of the fact that God is our Father and that we belong to Him and that we can trust Him and that He will provide for us, right? We are the ones that think that we have to protect ourselves because deep inside we've not dealt with the fact that there were things that have happened in our lives and in our stories that have left deep pain and deep wounds. It's that place that God wants to meet us. You can, in those moments when you go through difficulty, I mean, honestly believe that either God is not there, that He is distant, or worse than that, that He is not good and He does not care. It is into that space, it is into that pain that God wants to speak, you belong to me. Right? I will not leave you as orphans. Regardless of your story, regardless of what you have walked through, God wants to convince you. Not only was He there with you in those moments of pain, that He's now here present to heal you in the midst of this assembly where He wants to pour out the spirit of adoption so that you know that you belong to Him. He wants to move us from self-protection to trust. Now, the truth is, theologically speaking, right, it says the Spirit, he says, is present there in that upper room context, and he says he will be in you, right? The, the Spirit is living inside of us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Like, he's not far off. He is as near as your next breath. But the challenge for us as the people of God is to become more aware of His presence, right? It's not that He's not present. It's we're unaware of His presence. We can be aware of our circumstances. We can be aware of other people. But God wants us most of all to be aware of His presence and His nearness. And He wants to move us from merely just surviving and self-protection to thriving and trusting who He is. Listen to this um, definition of adoption from Jo Saxton in her book, The Dream of You. Adoption was a common practice in the Greco-Roman world. It usually happened when a Roman citizen who had no male heir would choose someone, often a slave, to receive the inheritance and continue with the family legacy. 
When a slave was adopted in this way, the former slave's entire world changed. The adoption was marked by a ceremony. The person who was now a son signed papers stating that he renounced all connections to his old life and family. And that's what adoption does, right? It signs off all of the things that are meant to harm you and destroy you. His debts were written off. The the signed papers meant that the new father, by adoption, had complete control over every part of his son's life. And that's what's true if you have placed your faith in Jesus. He owns your story, right? He owns the good parts. He owns the bad parts. He owns the difficult parts of your story. God owns it all. And then he says... He also had to look after his son. Furthermore, a father could disown a biological son, but an adopted child could never be disowned. That's the the kind of adoption that we're talking about. That's what the New Testament's talking about. When the father died, the adopted son received his inheritance and continued the father's legacy. And that's what he wants to do for us. If we're going to embrace our full identities, know our names, and live out our vocations as we speak with our true voices, if we're going to embrace who we are and what we're living for, we need to know whose we are. Or in John 14 language, I will not leave you as orphans. You are adopted into the family of God. God is our Father. That means He will provide for us. That means He will protect us. And for the painful parts of your story, it means He will heal you. Right? He's a healer. Another way I believe God wants to make the spirit of adoption more real to us is to move from trying to earn God's love to simply receiving His love. Tom Davis, in his book, Fields of the Fatherless, this story has marked me for a long time. It tells the story of a couple that's going to pick up their child from a Russian orphanage. And the parents just want to be able to look in the orphanage and see how um, the children are interacting with other children. And so as they look in, they see their adopted son and they're watching him. And the mom just comes in and just gently watches from the doorway and there's little notice of her. But then the father comes in and as soon as his presence is felt, every child in the orphanage began to cry out in Russian, Papa, Papa, Papa. There was this deep desire and longing to be connected to a father. There, there was almost this deep desire for this man to notice all of the children, right? And you don't have to have the experience of being an orphan to understand what that's like. Most of us, if we're honest, we long for God to notice us, right? And we may not define it like that, but... We try to get God to notice us through our performance or through our abilities. A spirit of spiritual exhaustion can take place. That's, it finds its roots in not being convinced that we belong to God. Our lives can seemingly be marked by His absence instead of His presence. So we try to show Him just how valuable we are, right? 
And sometimes, right, it, it's not just confined to our own inner stories, right? I mean, we begin to compete with one another as brothers and sisters because somehow deep down we think that God loves other people more than he loves us, right? So there's a spirit of competing with one another when there's supposed to be a spirit of unity. And I hate, I mean, this lives inside of me. And deep down, you wonder, am I really enough? It's into this context. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. You don't have to prove yourself to God. You don't have to get him to notice you. He's already noticed you in and through the gospel. He actually chose you from the foundation of the world to be adopted as sons and daughters. And when we doubt God's approval of us, we will inevitably go looking for that approval in other people, right? It is a necessary response. So listen, if there is insecurity that lives inside of all of us, the answer is to be more aware of the spirit of adoption, having him pour that out on us on a daily basis so that we no longer have to prove ourselves. Derek Worthington in his book, The Call of Jesus, says this. He says, we have become a race of strivers. It's the way we live. To strive is to try hard, to struggle, to make great efforts to achieve or attain something. Striving is a fundamental element of our existence in the West, and yet it becomes very dangerous when we begin to import it into our faith. Striving, when we seek to attain righteousness before God, is disastrous. This is neither God's heart nor His plan for our lives. And listen, we are in a city that is absolutely wrecked by this, right? There is a world that is longing to know that they do not have to prove and earn their righteousness before God. I believe it's part of the reason that we exist as a church is to model this kind of rest that only comes from knowing that we're secure in the gospel. So what's the alternative? Abiding. Abiding is an effortless resting in the Lord, confident in His love for us, His promises about our future, and His desire to bless us with abundant life. Deep in the core of our being, this is what we long to rest in, The good news about abiding is this. The pressure is off. Jesus said it is finished. He has fully accomplished what your soul feels compelled to strive for. We can live in freedom and light as God's sons and daughters. The truth is God has already noticed you in and through the gospel. He even praised this um, in John 17. He says, I pray... That they would know that I am in them and you in me and that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. God wants his people to know. He prayed before he went to the cross that we, he would know that he loves us as much as he loves his own son. Right? That is absolutely what it means. This is our core identity as the people of God. We are sons and daughters of the King. Striving, proving, earning ceases when we 
lay down and abide in the love of God. The final way I believe that God wants to just break into our hearts with this spirit of adoption is moving us from the slavery of fear to the intimacy of sons and daughters. Romans 8, 14 through 16 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So listen, most of us are so convinced that fear has to be a part of our story that it's become normative. But what Romans 8 declares to us is that there is an intimacy that breaks through fear. Right, That that spirit of intimacy is present here in this very moment to vanquish all of your fear, to convince you that you belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that He is your Father. He's not some deadbeat dad that will not provide for you. He's not some abusive father that is far off and distant. He is a Father that has drawn near to us in the person of His Son and now He has poured out the spirit of adoption on His people so that we would all be convinced that we belong to Him so that we can leave this place confident in who we are and we can begin to make a difference in the lives of other people, right? And and we can't, if you get that backwards, then we're back into trying to earn or trying to prove. This is about becoming who God has already said that we are. He has poured out the spirit of adoption so that we can become Sons of God. This is what is most true of you, regardless of what your circumstances are. This is what's most true of you, regardless of what you feel. This defines you as the people of God. You are His children. Now, Romans 8 is this beautiful picture of God's promises, but it also says that there's a real enemy that lives inside of each of us. It's called the flesh. And the flesh is not just like our skin, but it's that part of us that's not conformed to the image of Jesus. It's the part of us that still is not being submitted to God. The flesh is the place where fear lives. It's the place where fear comes from. But Romans 8 also gives us this wonderful picture that those that walk by the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature. So the key for us, if you are wrecked with fear, right? And I I have been there myself this week. But this truth is meant to come in and free you. As we walk by His Spirit, it actually will convince us that we belong to Him. So how do we begin to, to walk this out? What implications is there for us. The first is we must cultivate intimacy with God and make it our top priority. Right? Cultivate intimacy. And I'm I'm not putting intimacy up and above and over studying and knowing. You can't love something that you don't truly know. It's both and, but the goal of all of this is so that you would know God is your father. Cultivate intimacy. 1 John 3.1 says this, See 
what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This word see is not just like look like with real eyes. It's beholding. It's taking it in. It's marveling at the fact that we are children of God. God wants us to be convinced that He is our Father and marvel over the fact that we are His children. So listen, if you have not been convinced up to this point, if you are struggling with fear and doubt and insecurity and trying to prove your worth, I would ask you just to confine your study and your experience of God to His love for this next season, right? You may need some help. Like if you have grown up in the religious South, you're going to need some tools to help you. A thing that's been super helpful for me is um, a book of prayers by Scotty Smith where it helps you to learn to listen to the heartbeat of God. We need people that speak gospel language to us. We need people that can help us understand the spirit of adoption. Scotty Smith in his book, Everyday Prayers, this is a prayer that helps me that I go to over and over. I would recommend this resource to you. He says, and he's speaking from the perspective of God just to convince his own heart. He says, Indeed, you belong to me, my child. Imagine God saying this to you. And I love you more than you've ever hoped and desire you more than you can possibly imagine. No matter your failures or feelings, no matter the defaming names you wear or the shameful things you have done, in full view of your struggles and knowing all your burdens, I have redeemed you and you are mine. So you doubt many things. You don't have to doubt what I think of you. I love you as much as I love my own son, Jesus. For I've hidden your life in his and made his righteousness yours. I cannot love you more and I will never love you less. Rest, my child, and be at peace. Know that the grasp of my grace is tighter than your grip on me. When in doubt, I will meet you right there. When in joy, know that I intend even greater joy for you. When in weakness, my strength is made perfect in that very place. We need people to help us. We need community to remind us that we belong to God. So, make intimacy with God your top priority, right? And this is the full privilege of being sons and daughters that we experience God as Father. If you are too busy for this, you are too busy, right? If you have to take radical steps, if you have to quit your job, right? If you have to take your kids out of some activities, please do so. This is what life is all about, experiencing the nearness and the kindness of God. Second, this is the way I think adoption becomes real, and this is where we move from this being a truth that's about us to something that God does through us. We remember the lost children of God. This means living out adoption, right? For many of us in the room, this, this means physically not just opening up our hearts, but opening up our homes, right? There are many in this room that are called to adopt, to bring children into their families, to be a living picture of the gospel. We are absolutely committed to this as a church. We have an adoption fund that's just waiting to fund adoptions in this church. So if you don't know about that, you'd like to know about that, I'd love to sit down with you. Love to be able to bless you. There's a brochure about that in the lobby. Um, For this to really begin to to take root. I, I just would invite you just 
just over this next couple of days to, to pray um, for those that are disconnected from families. It says in Psalms that God sets the lonely in families. For many of us, that's been the truth of what we've experienced through this church. But God wants to do that in a, in a bigger way and on a bigger scale. Um, and then I think, I mean, I've I, I just been overwhelmed with this thought over and over. This is what we're about as a church. Like, if, if you want to know what Fellowship Jonesboro is about, what is, what is our call, right? It, it, you may not be physically called to bring um, children into your home, but there are people in this area that no one remembers and no one cares about. This region of the country, this, this region of the country if you just go down the Mississippi Delta, it is filled with people that have been forgotten by all the world. And those are people that are made in the image of God. Those are people that are precious to Him. Those are people that are meant to be brought into His family. So over the next several months, we're going to be talking about how do we make these truths come alive, not just in the things that move us emotionally, but how we actually live out our lives. That we're called to be a church that remembers those that everyone else has forgotten. Right? How do we orient our time and our resources and all of those things so that we can begin to accomplish what God has for us as His people? This is God's heart for us. And then um, we're going to just close in a few moments, but I just want to make this appeal. This is not emotional manipulation. This is just allowing God to convince you of His personal love for you to remind you that your story matters to him, right? Every inch, every part of that story is precious to him, and he is present with you no matter what you're going through right now, and he wants to convince you of that, and the, the, the biggest proof of that is Jesus on a cross, hanging in there suspended between heaven and hell, naked for us, so that we could be brought near. This is, this is the good news for the people of God, that, that God didn't spare His own Son, but He gave Him up for us all. And then He raised Him from the dead so that He could pour out the spirit of adoption on His people. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Jesus. I thank You for His promise that He would not leave us as orphans. I thank You that there are many in this city that need to hear this message, whether they are children or they are adults, I pray that you would help us to be a means of grace. Um, for those that need to take tangible steps today, I pray that you would help them. Uh, I pray that you would allow us just to begin a journey with what it looks like to honor you with our lives. I pray that you would deepen us as the people of God, that you would speak right into the story of people that they would no longer live as spiritual orphans, but they would live as your children, convinced that you are our Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.